Hello, I'm your host, Maz Chowdhury, and welcome to the Untick the Box podcast. This is a show that aims to shine a light on underrepresented voices across industries and offer honest career advice to those wishing to join them. Before I introduce our next guest, please don't forget to subscribe. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. I'm so excited to introduce Dean Connolly to the show today. Dean is the founder of Latte, a recruitment agency that works with some of London's best PR agencies and creative talent. He launched Latte six years ago because he was sick of the nonsense in PR recruitment. From jobs being oversold to candidates and to talent not being the right fit for agencies, he set out to change the reputation of recruitment by putting ethics at the core and putting the human back into human resourcing. Latte actually recruits for Milk and Honey, so it's so nice to have him finally on the podcast and get to know him better. Hi, Dean. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Hi, Maz. Good to see you again. So I guess we'll go straight into it. So this is a little bit about your childhood. Could you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your school or your university life and how that might have shaped you? Yeah, definitely. So I was born in a small country town in the central New South Wales. So it's about four hours inland from Sydney in a town called Orange. But we lived in a town outside of that, which was only two and a half thousand people. Um, And so really through my whole childhood and teen life, I think we moved four times. And so that meant I felt like every four to five years, I was a new kid on the block and a new kid at school. Um, And I really think growing up in, you know, small coastal towns or small country towns, it's very wide. There's not lots of diversity in any sense of the word. And so um, being a gay man later on, well, not later on in life, but my my whole life, but it didn't give me the chance to recognise that. And I think I've actually been reflecting on this a lot in the last um, 12 months in the sense that I think... I kept myself contained. I always felt very much like I was on the outside and I didn't realize why. Um, And then when I, one of the final changes for high school, I got bullied quite a lot and everyone was calling me gay and and bullying me for that for about four or five years. And so that was a really tough period of time because I didn't even know I was at the time. I think I was pushing everything down quite a lot. Um, And then when I moved to Sydney, I felt like I finally could breathe and I, I realised that there was this weight on my shoulders. And I think because in a city, there's so much more diversity. Um, and so it just gave me a chance to be more my authentic self. Um, but I think the way that it shaped me is it did make me a bit of a people pleaser. Mm, um, I was going to say, did that come naturally to you? Or was it like, do you remember being it quite daunting in the sense of like you went from one extreme to another? Um, Yeah, I think it was daunting, but what happened was when I moved to Sydney, there was the the friends group that I made, there were two gay guys in that friends group. And it was the first, it was the first time I'd met gay people that were accepted by a friends group and just treated as normal Um, at every other point. Um, they were always ostracized and put down. And so that's why I never wanted to come out or never wanted to allow myself. So I think it was a bit of a shock in the sense that one of my friends actually kind of forced it out of me. (laughs) They're like, you're definitely gay, don't just admit it. But they were doing it from a loving place rather than a a place of trying to put me down. Um, And so I think that was a shock. But once it happened, it was all kind of luckily smooth sailing, I think, from there. Um, 
But I think the way that it shaped me is it definitely made me a people pleaser. I definitely wanted to fit in so much. And now at 36, I'm really only starting to step into not having to feel like I need to care for someone else's feeling. Like even small things in the lift, I'll, a lift going up uh, to my apartment, I'll be like, oh, hi, how are you? And try and make them feel comfortable in the lift, even if I don't feel like talking. I'm going out of my way. I'm like, why do I even bloody care what that person thinks? And they wouldn't even think I was rude. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, interesting. So you're in the field of recruitment. How did mm-hmm. you get into that? How did you decide that you wanted to be in that field and why? Mm. Well, I would... I wish there was a good story to it, (laughs) but I was at uni studying marketing. So I always wanted to be in like advertising or PR. I don't even think I knew PR was a career. It was kind of advertising. And then when I moved to London, I started recruiting in that field. Um, But I had a friend that worked at a big global recruitment agency in Newcastle, Australia, this is. Um, And she was wearing a suit, driving a car, working in the only kind of professional office block in Newcastle. I was like, oh, I want that corporate lifestyle. (laughs) And so that's why I got into it. And it was super cutthroat. I think I even became like a very cutthroat person because of it. Um, And thankfully, when I moved to London, I joined a creative recruiter and it was jeans and T-shirt. And uh, still a little bit cutthroat, to be honest, but you could definitely be more yourself. And now Mm. I never want to wear a suit again. Um, (laughs) So that's how I got into it. I don't think people actually choose to get into recruitment. I think you fall into it. Whereas I feel like PR, did you like choose to get into PR? I did, yeah. I studied at uni. I, I was going to study child psychology. Oh. I had my place sorted. Um, and then I went to one talk about PR. And then I was like, that's what I want to do. Withdrew my application. Took that's a gap so the interesting. Then I just knew I wanted to be a PR. What was it that, like, I know it's hard to say, but what was it that you were like, this grabbed me? I think it was, it was like the, definitely the creative aspect and also that I could work for companies and really like shape things, but not necessarily have to directly be within like public policy. Like you can Um, really like make a difference, obviously change people's, the way people think companies and like build reputations and I just thought that was really interesting and like quite powerful I Um, actually think people underplay the power of PR because I really think um if you have a look at things like the clean creatives movement um of you know the push to not support um purpose washing and the B Corp movement all those things but I think PR controls so much of the narrative in the media but also Mm. so much of what influencers put out and I think if eventually PI industry can come together and choose certain topics that they want to shape as an industry. There's power in that, um, yeah. which I know we're going to get onto diversity, but I think that will also help shift yeah. the narrative in so many ways. Anyway, we're getting off track. But... <laughs> they, they already are. I mean, it's like with, um, you know, people realizing that greenwashing is such a big problem with companies, companies yeah. know yeah. that and are wanting to do the opposite. And then that's True. where PR comes in. And yeah. Yeah. No, no, that is true. It is happening on a lot of things. I even feel like, I don't know, you know, when you read like a, there's a trend in the media, especially when it comes to election time and politics, I feel like if we could just like create a PR machine that gets the actual truth out, like, I guess there's like the fact checking and all that. Depending what media you chat to, you're never going to get the truth though, are you sometimes? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so what's the favorite part of your job and like what do you get the most fulfillment out of? Um, I, I think when you're in something for a long time, so let's say I was in PR for, I don't know, 15 years, I think I've been in recruitment now, I would probably get sick of pitching to the media every day, although some people love it. I think mm. for me with recruitment, it, it is very repetitive. Um, you know, you're asking the same questions and uh, there's a lot of the process that's the same. But the one thing that I still really love is the consultation with clients. So helping them, my, my favourite is when they're releasing a job, but they want us to mould how that fits in the business. Um, and so I love the consultation around that and also giving them an insight on things like how their employer brand sits in the market. Are they attractive? What do they need to change? Is their salary on point? I love the consultation because I feel like that's the most commercial part um, of recruitment. And this is a little bit cliche, but... I don't think I was ever naturally a manager. I think I was too much of a perfectionist and a micromanager. And I've worked really hard on that over the last few years. And I've had a business coach that's helped me. Um, but I'm starting to really enjoy uh, just the team and kind of creating a culture. And I can see that coming to life with the people that we've hired. There's just a thread that runs through the niceness, the niceness and the... Is that a word, the niceness? Sorry. Um, <laughs> it is now. Yeah. But I just, I, I really like the vibe that we're creating and how everyone's connecting. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I feel like there's so much in like being a good leader doesn't mean that you should be overbearing. It means that like you should trust the people that you employ to kind of like, yeah, do their own thing. You yes. them reason to let them do their own thing. And it's not just. It's hard because it's like your baby, right? So it's yes. hard to let, and trust people, I guess. But actually, on that point, because my one of my the coaches that I um, I have like a, a few sessions with, or sometimes one session a month, she was the former CEO of One Green Bean, and mm. um, has then gone off to do her own like business coaching and um, service, but also studied psychology, and. Mm. I had this thing in my head. I was like, what do I do when someone's, you know, not performing or a task has been, you know, it's been asked to, to be done multiple times and it's still not being done. Like, I feel my I feel like my default response was to like get frustrated and, and get really direct. And mm. she was like, no, this is not a parent-child mm. relationship. This is about just being really outcome focused and setting really clear expectations. And then, then people know where they're heading and what they need to do. And so even things... When, like the way that I consulted, I was trying to get people to consult exactly like me. And she showed me that actually get them to create the same outcome. So the client feels, wow, I've had an expert consultation. But how they do that is totally up to the individual with guidance and, and framework. And that was game changing for me. Yeah. 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 It sounds basic, but it was, it was. No, good that for makes me. a lot. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So you've mentioned that you've got a business coach. Is there, yes. has there been a mentor that's particularly had an impact on your life, like whether personally or professionally? Um, I think I, I, I often have said like, so I feel like one of them was Claire Carpenter. She was a, a director in my very first recruitment job. Um, and I don't think she would know that she, she wasn't a mentor. She was probably someone that I looked up to. Um, mm. 
but she would walk in and her energy would fill the room straight away and you were kind of really impressed from the outset and I felt like she navigated a very male-dominated cutthroat world with just such um, sophistication and I really felt like she shaped the first few years of my career in terms of I don't know, just thinking commercially and working really hard. So she was great from that perspective of just, you know, being a fresh grad, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed um, and and shaping my mindset in terms of work and being commercial. And then actually, Kirsty, I have to say, uh, your, your MD at Milk and Honey, she, we've kind of been on through, uh, through a journey with each other because I, she was one of my first clients when I moved to London and I was working for another recruitment agency. And she, she also scared me a little bit when I walked into the office and she was this fabulous woman with a Louis Vuitton yeah. bag. And, um, <laughs> and then I got to know her over the years and her directness and her bluntness um, sometimes would scare me, but then I um, I got to know her and there's a real soft center to Kirsty and she became a mentor and actually she was the one that helped me launch our recruitment subscription service that is has been really amazing for our business, but it's been reducing PR agencies' recruitment costs by 50%. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's it's a real a service that not a lot of recruitment agencies offer, and so she's just been very commercial in the advice that she's given me. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I've got to go away to your team away days in Morocco, and mm-hmm. the commercial insight that I take from those types of things has been amazing. I feel like I jot all these notes down. I'm like, how do I action this? <laughs> I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. So yeah, those two <laughs> those two women, strong strong powerful women, <laughs> seem to be the my mentors and people I look up to. Yeah. Um, so are there any challenges within your industry that you've noticed? And if so, like, how do you combat them or how do you want to combat them? Yeah, I think there's two big challenges. One is, uh, most, and you might've experienced this as well, but most, uh, not most, there's a, a big chunk of the recruitment industry that is very salesy and very pushy. And it's about how many CVs can I flick? And it's not about consultation. And I think... What happens is when we reach out for a headhunt message, the, the challenge is it is a bit of a numbers game. You've got to reach out to multiple people to get the talent in. But at that point, we really consult. We give the good and the bad of a role and the culture and the inside of the agency so, so someone can make an informed decision. We don't always get it right, but I think 80% of the time we do because we're still an external recruiter. Um, and From... Yeah. When you're giving the good and the bad, where do you get that from? It's very market feedback. Yeah. Okay. So typically, um, I don't want to. I, I feel like that. Basically, it's also down to the individual. So if a candidate said to me, let's say they're coming from a big global agency, and we mainly recruit for small to mid-sized, but we'll kick ass agencies, and they they said to us, "Oh, look, I." I really like the structure at my agency. I'm an AM and I only do an AM job and I want that type of environment. Well, I would say, look, most of the agencies we've got, you're going to need to be scrappy and get your hands dirty. And here are some examples of things that you might need to do. So that might be a con for that individual. Mm -hmm. Or I might say the managing director of this agency can be really sharp. But once you get over this hurdle, you will actually find that there's um, a great relationship to be had. And you're going to have to have some thick skin there because advice is, and, and feedback is given in a really direct manner. 
versus sometimes there's agencies where they've got a really soft, beautiful culture, but someone might not find that um, engaging enough. So that the pros and the cons are often tailored for the individual based on what they've said. If they want X, Y, and Z, this agency delivers on X and Y, but not on Z for you. So do you want to go forward for that? So yeah, I think one of the biggest issues is overselling both to candidates, but also to clients. Candidates get oversold, they go for an interview and it wasn't a match. And I think that shouldn't be mm. happening. Um, I get so overwhelmed when I get asked by recruiters, like, oh, are you interested in this job? And they're like, it's got this and this and this and this and this. And I just find that so overwhelming because half of that stuff I'm not even interested in. Like you haven't yes. even got to tell me what I want. So why are you telling me a bunch of stuff that I'm yeah. not interested in? They're pitching, they're, they're selling yeah. to you instead of actually yeah. listening and consulting. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And I think the second thing um, is that a lot of PR agencies don't understand the recruitment process. So they'll brief us on a role and two to three weeks later, well, where are the candidates? I'm like, well, these mm -hmm. are, you know, the people that are walking, making decisions, breathing. You know, what, the opportunity has to be enticing for them to make a jump. Otherwise, it's a like for like move. And you know, if you think about London and we just, let's say we talk about the B2B tech PR market for account managers, there's maybe 400 B2B tech account managers in general, though I'm sure we're missing some out of that. And if you funnel that down to people that are happier in their job, not interested in the opportunity that they're being briefed on, um, have only just changed jobs, is waiting for a pay rise, you, you whittle that down to a very small talent pool that's actually looking they have to be interested in the opportunity that you're presenting. So that takes time. So I think a lot more education with clients in general about the process has to happen mm. because it's like a press release. You can pitch a press release until the cows come home, but if it's not a good story, it's not going to get picked up or it'll get picked up by some trade magazine that's no one reads. <laughs> you know. Hey, let's not hate on the trade. Oh, like sorry. Yeah, I can, I can do that because I don't pitch the media. <laughs> you, Dean. <laughs> They're going to write that about, like, I love you, trade media. <laughs> yeah. um, so what do you think your industry can do to encourage more diversity or better inclusion? Big question, I know. Really good question. I've got lots of thoughts on this. I The thing is, I think we're still on our journey to um, better understanding how to um, serve marginalised communities and we're doing a lot in that space. So I'm going I'm to get onto that. But I think what we can do as recruiters is have more honest conversations with PR agencies about what they're actually doing to create a more diverse workforce that feels like they have a home at their agency or at their company versus tokenism. And I think what we get past a lot of us recruiters is oh we want diverse talent great okay so if we go out and head talent and then that diverse talent says oh could you tell me um uh what the percentage is of people of the global majority in this agency or what their um lgbtqi plus ratio is and if they don't have any stats or any policies around supporting a diverse workforce then how do we get that kind of across the line i think a lot of agencies even some that have had you know, some stance of approval by organisations, which are great. They're taking a step in the right direction. But I still don't think there is a space that's been created in those agencies so that talent is heard. And I, um, and I don't want to, again, I'm not an expert, but I remember chatting to a few, um, a few uh, black candidates, actually, and I, and I was saying to them, 
I obviously I'm a, I'm a not obviously this is a podcast I'm a white uh, gay male so on the pecking order of the patriarchy I'm down one peg but I've still got a lot of privilege and so I don't understand as a black candidate what the challenges are you're facing and, and I was kind of asking what you know tell me what it is and that's not their job to educate me but I needed to know so I could start to consult better and one of the cats said every time I present an idea it gets washed over because all of my white colleagues don't hear it, understand it, or see how it could work for the client. But I know it would work. I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, that's a really good nugget of insight. So then how is that agency creating an environment to make sure that that person's ideas are heard and that the team aren't just whitewashing ideas or washing ideas over in general? And so I think PR agents, where I think this comes from is two things. One is um, people are still doing tokenism and second, people are fearful about putting a foot wrong. Oh, I don't know. How do we put this policy? Oh, I don't know. And what I've learned, because actually one of these amazing tools and training courses you can do, it's called The Other Box and it's a diversity training course and we've been doing it and we're dedicated to an hour every Friday. It takes taking quite a bit of time but we are learning so much as a team it's actually bringing us together because we all discuss our viewpoints our models of the world which is how is your upbringing shaped your mindset it's insane but the thing that's come out of that is it doesn't matter if you make mistakes as long as you're trying to do good and trying to do better and so I think one of the lessons from from that for everyone is don't wait to be perfect because we were doing that I didn't want to launch a diversity offering or policy out of fear of being like another it's another tokenistic gesture I wanted to do it right but I was trapped in fear of doing it right so then nothing happened for a year so this year is our year to launch that yeah but I feel like that's where you went right with getting the training because like you said people can be scared because they don't want to do it wrong or like do something put something out there and then you get you know cancelled per se for it exactly but yeah, it's just about trying and learning is the main thing as well. Yeah. So I think my advice, well, for, for, I think when I say my industry, that's recruitment, but we're so embedded in PR, I would mm. say the other box training or some form of diversity training um, is key. And actually you'll be surprised at how it brings the culture together and creates mm. discussion. And then I would say the second thing is, um, I, I, the other the other challenge PR has is that once you're account even account manager level, it's hard to come in at AM level if you haven't been brought up in PR because you're going to be managing campaigns, chatting to the media, and trying to manage AEs that have got a year's experience writing press releases. So how do you do that? But the issue is, the industry is only eight to ten percent people of global majority. So then, how do you create? more diversity at high levels it's just not happening because PR agencies only want to hire experienced staff um and so one big way is I think a lot more of the entry level talent needs to be more diverse and that's happening but I think it could speed up a lot more and then fast track career progression um for maybe people that join at entry level do like a year's rotation and then start to progress through management because their commercial experience in other industries means they're not as green um that could be a way to do it Mm. Um, so tell us more about Latte and your journey to founding it. Um, and what do you think Latte sort of does differently? And like, was there a gap in the market that you particularly wanted to fill? 
Um, so the way that it started is I was working for one recruiter and I moved across to another and basically all my clients followed and wanted to continue working. Ooh. I was like, oh, okay, I was like, that's nice. Ooh. There's something in this. <laughs> yeah, it's changing now as well. But at the time when I started Latte, which was about six or seven years ago, all of the recruiters had like very corporate names. It's like, this doesn't make sense in PR. You know, you've got Milk and Honey and Hope and Glory and Fever. Like no one's feeling that corporate, but these were all very corporate sounding recruiters. So I really saw the gap in one being a proper consultation to looking and feeling more like our industry in PR mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than like a recruitment agency. And I think the real difference was taking a very human centric approach and stopping the BS sales and actually giving proper advice for people. And the one thing that I've constantly said to my team is I would prefer for us not to make a placement if it's not right for the candidate or the client because if and, and, and miss out on making revenue because that person will come back to us 10 times throughout their career or as a business release more jobs to us because we're being ethical and mm. that's paid off. We, we rarely do business development. Most of it's referred. Um, and that's because we've always put what's right ahead of making money. Mm. Yes. Um, Where did the name Latte come from then? <laughs> oh, so I feel like I should have been prepared for this, Matt. <laughs> but the, honestly, it was going to be... Um, Are you going to say, yeah, like, I just liked it? Basically, I just liked look, it. The, what, I tell, what I say to people is that all good conversations start over a coffee. And certainly mm. pre-pandemic, we were running across London having coffee meetings with camps before yeah. working over lunch. But the reality is it was just a name that stuck and sounded more like a PR agency and I like the look of it and the feel of it. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your hopes for the future of Latte then? Well, there's been lots of ups and downs and lots of learnings um, and COVID nearly wiped us out, but I would love to become the biggest PR and social media recruiter in London. Um, Mm. And we are about to launch in Australia this year. I'm hiring a recruiter at the moment, so we'll, we'll start over here. Um, potentially I'd like to launch an office in New York on the back of our relationship with Milk and Honey. We've had a few leads come in from there as well. Um, yeah, for Latte, I think I would like to, we're launching a, a diversity recruitment, um, program this year. So I want to bring a lot more diverse talent in. And I think what I would like for that to do is eventually get to a point where we've got a hundred candidates from, uh, marginalized backgrounds being placed into PR. Um, and also that uh, I've just created an amazing work environment and career for, for my team members. And we're already doing that. We've got unlimited holidays and a four day work week for hundred percent pay. We've signed the clean creatives pledge. We eventually want to do B Corp, but I feel like we haven't had the time or the resources to do, to mm. do that. Hopefully now with our new um, ops exec Jemima. Anyway, that's a long winded answer. <laughs> So just to round off a little bit, if your friends were to give you an award, what mm-hmm. would that be for? Uh, honest, sometimes blunt advice. I can't stand, what I, when a friend comes to me and they're complaining about something, I can listen to it once or twice. After that, mm-hmm. I, I'm very solutions focused. I, I can't stand problems kind of just being on the, what do you call it? The roundabout and going over and over again. Yeah. 
Yeah. So just very, being very direct and blunt. I like that. Yeah. Every, I feel like everyone needs someone like that in their life. Yeah. I don't really want to, you know. Just tell me how it is. <laughs> True. But what I've learned is some people just want you to be an ear to listen. And so my personality, yeah. I've been working on that just, and in the moment I kind of switch off. I'm like, okay, they just want me to listen. Mm. Hear this mm-hmm. now, even though it's the fifth time. <laughs> yeah. But in your head, you're like ticking, like, how can I fix this? How can I fix yes. this? Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I get that. Um, yeah. So, and what would you like your legacy to be? Mm. Um, kind of what you were asking about the the focus of latte. I think really have an impact on uh, diversity in the PR industry. I'm personally quite passionate about low socioeconomic um, backgrounds and bringing more of that talent in. But actually, what I want is each team member they've got different passion areas for. Um, for for diversities and so i want to have an impact there yeah and also create an amazing environment where people have a really good work-life balance they are earning a good salary um and feel like you know they're not what's the saying not living to work but working to live is that right yeah yeah is that right yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so go on some holidays work hard when you're at work you know be an adult take ownership yeah God, I feel inspired. I think we've got to release life after this. Oh, great. Hopefully this podcast goes viral then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is there anything else you want to say to round off? Uh, I don't think so, except that I'd love to go have a drink with you, Maz, when I'm back in London. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I'm waiting for that. Yes. Hopefully I'll get invited to Morocco Morocco again and we'll do it there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, actually, we said we were going to, um, when I was back, that I was going to do a a tooting night. Yes, we have to with Sophie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I keep getting Sophie lived down that way. Oh, well, it was so lovely to speak to you today. Thank you so much for coming on. No um, I will share your socials and your all your details in the bio um, of okay. this episode. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Maz. Good seeing you. And I am back in April, so I'm sure I'll see you. Uh, Fab. Okay. Yeah, let's time. get a date in the diary. Sounds good. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. That's the end of this episode. If you've listened all the way through, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it and you found something useful that you can take with you in your personal or your career journey. We appreciate any feedback or thoughts that you might have. So if you want to get in touch, please email us on untickthebox at milkandhoneypr.com or you can reach out via any of Milk and Honey's social media channels. See you next time on Untick the Box.